This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In this episode, we're bringing you a conversation between Steve Tibbet and Colin Barron about how to create a leadership structure for a multi-site church. You can find everything that's discussed at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 144. So here are Steve and Colin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Broadcast. My name is Tom. I'm part of Christchurch Manchester. And this is our third broadcast where we've been looking at multi-site church. So uh, last month we had Joel Virgo and Colin Barron, and we were talking about how to raise up new leaders in a multi-site. And we're following up that one this month with uh, Steve Tibbet has joined us, and we're going to talk about leadership structure. Um, we'll start just by um, asking Steve and then Colin uh, just to tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So uh, Steve's at King's Church in London. Uh, Colin's at Christchurch Manchester. Uh, but why don't you just tell us a bit about uh, about the church that you're leading, about uh, the journey that you've gone on to bring you to Multisite and to the particular point you are uh, at this moment. So, Steve, why don't you kick us off with that? OK, Tom, thanks uh, for the invite to join you today. It's, it's great to be with you. Uh, I've been leading Kings approaching well, it's nearly 25 years. And to be honest, we kind of stumbled into Multisite following uh, really just trying to find a way of accommodating the growth we'd seen. Um, we'd done a number of building projects and we'd done multiple meetings. So we'd got to three meetings on one site and we just ran out of space. That's our journey. That's our story. And then in 2008, I heard Mark Driscoll speak on multi-site. First time I've ever heard of it. And I was sitting in the, it was actually at the Brighton conference and I sat there and I thought, gosh, if any church in the room could embrace this uh, we got a good chance of doing it partly because we're london based it's very urban spaces are very expensive and uh, and so it's you just can't keep getting a bigger auditorium and uh, because we had done multi-site and uh, so multiple meetings i felt we had learned some lessons with that and my primary gift is leadership so some of the complexities of leadership structure played well into my gift mix um, and so uh, we bought a massive new building in 2011. And uh, at that point, we also launched into a multi-site church. We also adopted. So we planted a site and adopted a site at uh, the same time with a big capital campaign. And wow, it, it, it swamped us, to be honest. And uh, it took us seven years, seven years later to get to our fourth site, which we launched uh, last uh, uh, year back September, just over a year. That's gone well. So we're now running with, we have four venues on a Sunday and seven meetings. That's that's uh, Kings. And then lastly, for me, Kings, very diverse. If you're trying to understand my context, it's um, a third African, black African, third black Caribbean and third white. So everything we do is cross-cultural and it's, it's, it's urban cross-cultural ministry. So that's, that's, a brief summary of where we're at right right at the moment. I hope that helps. Great, thanks, Steve. And Colin, why don't you just say a little bit about uh, Christchurch as well and um, and the journey that, that we've been on? Yeah, we've been going about 12 years. Uh, it's my second multi-site. 
I came to Manchester 25 years ago as a church planter, having planted two churches, and realised that actually planting is a lonely business, and came to the conclusion if I could plant a number simultaneously, I could maybe stop my loneliness um, and uh, reach a city. And so we literally did that. We planted eight sites, small sites, but um, uh, they were all growing, and then we... Uh, released them all to go separate so that they could be autonomous churches, which was our game plan. Um, and six are going out of the eight, doing well. And then we started again, having been in America two years, uh, right into the centre of Manchester, really, well, at least two, three miles from the centre and into the centre. And so, uh, yeah, we are now uh, six sites, seven meetings, and... Uh, our goal really is to have sites of about 50 to 70 people. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically a little bit where we are. Great, thank you. Um, so that sets a little bit of context. Um, both churches there uh, are doing multi-site, but differences between them, um, differences in terms of um, how you started on multi-site and uh, King's coming into multi-site after, um, after a while of existing and uh, Christchurch going there uh, more from the start in terms of the, the scale of sites as well, um, being a bit different. Um, the people listening to this webinar um, will have their own multi-sites as well. So uh, what I've noticed from engaging with lots of people is while we, we use multi-site as a word uh, that's kind of catch-all, it can mean lots of different things to different people. It's expressed in different ways. Um, and yet some of the challenges are very similar. We gathered earlier this year uh, a few people involved in leading different multi-site churches, uh, and we're asking some of the, the most common challenges that people faced. And the most common answer we got was leadership. And how do you make it work? How do you organize it? Um, if you think of like a, a grid, um, where if you've just got one site, you've got a single column where you're having to answer different questions, like how does the, the groups look? How does the kids' work look? How does the worship look? How does the teaching look? And it's quite easy to fill in that box. So this person might have responsibility, this team might have responsibility. But, but when you're adding more sites, it's like you're adding columns to your, to your table, and each... Uh, each site will have, uh, say, say like in the site that I lead of CCM, we'll have community groups, but that puts a question mark. Who, who decides what happens there? Is it to do with uh, me as site leader saying, hey, it'd be great if the, if the groups were like this. It'd be great if our kids' work was like this. There's also an impulse from the centre saying, hey, wouldn't it be good if in all our kids' work we did this? In all our groups, it was like this. In all our worship, it was like this. You can have uh, two different directions of um, a vision, of um, determining, of shaping. Um, it'd be good to just kind of explore how, how you've navigated that along the way, uh, whether from day one you had the same way of doing it you do now, whether it's kind of evolved over time, and just get a bit of your thinking how you have handled those kind of questions. And um, uh, Steve, why don't you start and just tell us how, how this works at King's? Yeah, well, for us, it's uh, something we're still learning about, to be honest. But I've just been in a meeting talking about some of these issues. Uh, but I think uh, for us, uh, just a couple of introductory comments. I think, firstly, church size. 
um, is, re is really important. I've always felt it's underestimated in however uh, people build. So uh, I was fascinated, Colin, saying we want to start at 50 or 70. Our, we start with no less than 140 and we want to launch big and, and we want each of our sites to be 500. That's our aim. Um, so it's just so many different ways of building. And immediately, if you're reaching for that, then it's going to sort of change how you, 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 you handle some of these, what we will call constants across the church. Um, in our leadership structure, we had to decide early on authority lines. So we decided that uh, the authority line would be in the one church rather than in the site leader. Um, but we felt the management or the oversight of ministries had to go through site leaders. So there's an interplay between uh, the one church team and the site leadership team. Uh, and that's a tension that needs constant uh, uh, care. Uh, but we drew up, we have a document this big on our constants, which is basically a summary of our philosophy of ministry, how we work out our values and the way we found them fruitful in our context. This document probably won't work anywhere else. It really is. Uh, uh, it flows out of what is distinct about Kings, our location, our gift mix, our style, our philosophy, all, all these things. And what we occasionally find is site leaders want to do it their way. And we kind of go, well, if you want to ultimately do it your way, you need to go and do it somewhere else, to be honest. So we, we're, we're kind of our one church team. Um, yeah, so in that sense, you could say centralized in the sense of how we work that through. I mean, from day to day, really a person carries the values and the philosophy of ministry. So you can have a book, but really if it's not in someone's heart and they don't catch it, which is why we found in the end, the development of site leaders within has been the most fruitful way that they really are sons, my sons, and they really get it. Uh, and that has tend to work because in our context, it is fruitful. And so people, you can kind of go, well, look, if we do it this way, we know that God has blessed us. We will reach many people for Christ, and we do. We have huge flow. I mean, I was told 171 new contacts in September alone across the church. So we, our issue has never been flow. It's, I mean, it's just lots of people around. So it's about how do we retain capacity and doing it in a way which uh, reflects who we are. So, um, uh yeah, there's a few thoughts. I'm sure. I could I could say more, but that's probably enough. Let Colin come in and. I'd like to ask you a question, Steve, before I do it. Which <laughs> is, uh, uh, in terms, say, like the worship. Yeah. So, how much flexibility would your worship teams at each site have, as opposed to having someone, or do you have someone who kind of heads up worship? Yeah. So we would have. We call them champions. We would have like the philosophy gatekeeper across on the one church team at King's, that's Phil Varley, who's our uh, uh, associate pastor. So he's like the number two pastoral leader in the church. He's a brilliant worship leader, songwriter, so it really works for us. And we're pretty, we don't, we're not, so worship leaders choose all the songs. So the, the worship experience, you, if you went across the site, would be uh, very different in each each, each site, in our multiple meetings on our sites, it would be a, a, the same set of songs. Obviously, God could lead differently in a meeting, which is great. Uh, uh, and then we, our bandwidth is our eldership team would set 
basically core values that are we, we want to start with objective truth we want to start with worship focused on god and who god is rather than me and i and, and we might get there so it becomes more personal so there is some bandwidth set which our worship leaders hopefully uh work uh, towards and we would have a pretty set way of calling a meeting together so we have a, an anchor so that would be the same uh, but to give you one example of how it's 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 different in kings now and i think this is a church size thing i mean i walked into one of our sites six months ago and there was someone leading worship who i'd never seen in my life i didn't know who they were uh, that was a strange experience so i think if you really go multi-site and I don't know if you have that experience, Colin, with your seven, say seven sites. You start rocking up in the church you feel you're leading, and there are people on the platform you don't know, and that that creates a different type of internal pressure which you have to adjust to. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know if that answers your question, Colin. But that's that, that's no. no, that's good. Yeah, I was welcomed the other day <laughs> one of my sites <laughs> by somebody on the door, um, which <laughs> I thought was quite fun. Yeah, uh, uh, I probably have a less high profile than you do, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for us, it's it, uh, our philosophy has been to try and push things away as much as possible to the sites. Um, so we would be uh, that would be a, a big thing for us. Having said that, uh, we are one church, and uh, so we we kind of try and straddle the. That as much as possible devolved, yeah, that doesn't um, affect what church. And actually, I've noticed as we've got when we started, we were actually more flexible than we are now. Right. And, I, and so, you know, our second and third site, um, I was more bothered about the coffee at some points um, than some other things, which used to make people laugh. But there were certain things that I just wanted that. I, I, I knew what I wanted in terms of yep. preaching, et cetera. And I was around, so I could I could actually uh, mentor people and therefore I, I had a, a bigger bandwidth in terms mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Um, the leaders. Uh, we realised now, in fact, we had a discussion just recently that the, the latest site leaders have less bandwidth mm-hmm. than they did early on and uh, less able to shape what we're doing. So the early site leaders who are much are all elders now, um, definitely um, had, had more shaping just because they were close. We were figuring it out, and uh, and, and that's actually something that's been I think a revelation for us and quite helpful because sometimes um, I did I, I have thought is that person just been annoying. <laughs> But then I thought, oh no, actually, effectively, they're realising that <laughs> they're pushing as a site leader in a way that they did four years ago. Hmm. But we have now the book. We have got the book, but we've actually we wrote a book actually, hmm. which hmm. actually has most of our uh, our stuff in. Um, deliberately, we've done that. So yeah, so I think for. For us, we probably made uh, the site leader has a lot of authority, mm-hmm. um, and we have some, some using your term constants, which is a, mm-hmm. a, 
you know, so uh, and so we, but we tend to do that on a more training base. So like for like our preachers, we 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 basically have a mm-hmm. preacher at every site different, but we're very strong on teaching the preachers, mm-hmm. listening to the sermons, etc. Yeah. So I think we would be much more of that. You know, our our kind of grid. Uh, would play much more trading in as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, having it set centrally. Mm-hmm. So preaching would be classic as that. Yeah, okay. It was interesting in, in both of your, your answers there. I picked up you used the word bandwidth, um, which seems just a really important concept. If you're um, If you've got all these people in different places in the grid and uh, various expectations of what you'd have. Um, bandwidth suggests that there's a variety of different ways that you'd be happy for them to go as long as they don't transgress certain boundaries. Uh, could could you, uh, you just unpack a little bit about what you mean by bandwidth and how it's important, how you use it? Um, Colin, do you want to start and then Steve chip in? Um. Yeah, I mean, we have a, I was interested, a, a, a theological bandwidth. So, you know, we've got some very reformed uh, people and some less, less so. So, and, uh, uh, so that would be uh, uh, one, uh, one area um, in terms of the worship. So we have some bandwidth and part of that is pragmatic. That we, so we have a we have what we call a low and a high bar on a lot of things. So the high bar is what we what we aim for. So the worship would be a full band, even with a smaller congregation. We know that that's not possible in the size we are. So our bandwidth allows the fact that uh, we won't be able to have a full band. Just so they're kind of illustrations. Hospitality would be another one. We really are high on hospitality, so we want, that's why coffee was important, good food. Uh, and we want the people to eat together a lot, especially in communities. But that varies in our different settings. So that would just give three illustrations of bad work. So. Yeah. Great. Anything further to add, Steve? Any thoughts? Uh, that sounds great. I, I, I think we are, we have bandwidth. Um, <laughs> But I think we have less bandwidth than Colin is. So I think theologically we would probably, uh, we would talk one church, we have one vision, one set of faith and values. We have, uh, you know, the preaching is predominantly done by a preaching team of three people, 40 of the Sundays. We think that's really important to keep the whole church together. I... Um, uh, I allow more experimentation on our smaller sites than on our main site because the main site is the largest by a long way and it's just it's more difficult to experiment on that site uh, the, uh, my eyes are on it I'm, I, I tend to be there more than the other sites I visit the other sites but I tend to be there more so I think if you you know it's, inter- it's great that you've got us two on, in a sense, we're both doing multi-site, but as we're talking, they're very different models, yeah. and I think both are very fruitful. And that's, for me, that's the thing. I, I, I kind of, 
I mean, I've had some situations where uh, a site says, I want to do it another way. And we might say, okay, we'll have a go, see if it's fruitful. And I normally say, as, as long as it is. <laughs> and so let's, let's say about our, our outreach strategy, we unashamedly run a kind of high Sunday invitational, attractional, invite someone that has been fruitful for us. At the moment it isn't fruitful, we'll look again. And it's not that we don't do street work. It's not that we don't do prophetic teams on the street. If people want to do that, they are free to do that. But they can't then say that is like the primary outreach strategy. That is kind of, uh, they can, in a sense, we experiment in our smaller sites. And sometimes that is fruitful and it reflects back into our, we go, oh gosh, we've missed that. We better integrate that in. So our bandwidth is, is broader on the fringe rather than in the core of, of kings is how we work it. Great. Um, just to kind of then push into another area, um, sometimes you get someone coming through who you'd consider a real specialist in, in a particular area of gifting. So, uh, for example, it could be like a, a worship leader, could be a, a kid's worker, it could be something like that, who if you weren't doing multi-site, it'd be quite easy how you can leverage the strength of their gift. You get them kind of running a big work at the one meeting. When you're multiplied across different locations, different meeting times, uh, how do you make the most of people with those like real strong gifts? Um, Steve, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think, you know, we try and launch big. So to be honest, there is, there is, uh, that there is space for that type of gift multiplied actually so you've got four venues that are you know our smallest venue is probably 180 people including kids our biggest venues are uh, with three meetings over a thousand so you just you you have full-time staff as kids workers uh, on the bigger site so you have um uh, a space for that so uh, 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 yeah yeah, I think that's probably, ask me again in a moment, but I think that we, we, we tend to think we have space there. I was, we were advised by Jim Tomberlin, who was a multi-site guy, who said, the bigger the baby, the healthier the baby. So that has shaped us. And, um, and also our philosophy is that our issue has been our Catford site has continued to grow so we're, we're less a church planting model, which is, I think, what Collins is. Ours is kind of create space in our in our growing biggest sites. Uh, and then you get growth in both. Uh, so we don't tend to plant in areas where we don't have people. We plant where we do have people. So it moves people out of where they're traveling in. So this is where it's fascinating. Our philosophy of ministry and our context are so, so different, which is... Uh, uh, shows how the model is so broad. Yeah. Great. So it sounds um, for you that's quite an easy thing. And Colin, what about in in Manchester and specialists? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more complicated, uh, and uh, because um, in a sense you haven't got the financial resource. We're oh, I think three hundred adults now uh, in uh, Christchurch, Manchester, um, and so a lot of onus has gone to sites. Uh, a lot of so that and the site leader. Um, I think we've realized as we've got to 250, 300 that specialists are more 
important. And therefore, part of it is reallocated resources. So mm -hmm. we've probably put more resources now. We've got a school of theology, we've got a school of ministry, we've got a school of, of uh, songwriting, music, etc. All of those, we've realised you, you uh, it's space for people to grow, but also uh, we've had to reallocate resources now. And, uh, so in a sense, when you reallocate resources on a smaller scale, it has a bigger impact. So if you produce a, a, a worship leader or a children's worker that the site can see the, the benefit straight off because they're there every Sunday. Slightly different to when you have someone who's in one site, like we have a youth worker, a youth worker serves all the sites. Not all the sites have teenagers. Hmm. Uh, we have a, 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 a music producer paid two days a week who helps some of our music uh, worship leaders write songs, gets them on Spotify, it's been doing really good. Not every site has people involved in that. So I think helping people see the value um, and, uh, and, and especially in more community-based sites, people, we have the advantage of people feeling an ownership, a big ownership. So we have, you know, 60, 70, 80% buy-in in terms of rotors and involvement. But also you get a lot more questions because <laughs> people feel, you know, that ownership. It's, so you have some of the small church dynamics, which is what we want, but also some of, some of the constraints that you have to work through in explanation, which I'm sure Steve probably doesn't have on the larger scale. No, and I think what your experience there is, it's complicated by multi-site, Colin, but it's also just, as I said earlier, I think church size is, you know, you tend to start with generalists, and as you get bigger, you realise, I really need someone who's a specialist. They're like, they, they, this is what they do, and we need it reproduced, and they need to gather teams. So I think also a part of what you're facing is a transition from two to 500, where you move from a team of generalists to a team of specialists. And so you have that going on, kind of hidden in the background because you're, you're doing multi-site. And so we have this strange dynamic where we have, you know, you, you're, you're becoming a bigger church and a smaller church at the same time. And there's strengths and weaknesses in both. The smaller means for us is, uh, you know, it's 250 people in a room and they feel like, oh, this is great compared to being on our larger sites. But it's but it, it's bigger as well because you just, the communication challenge across seven meetings and hundreds of people becomes a real, real kind of problem for you. So you have to have a centralised comms team. Uh, and what we're observing is that as you get bigger and you have more sites and it gets more complex, you need to go more specialist and more centralised which I think is what you're saying, yes. although your original DNA is let it go. And then yes. that's great. And then facing just what a ch a ch one church on one site would face if you were three, 400 people, you have to start to make this transition. That becomes very challenging because you've got dear friends who are gift mixer generalists. And suddenly I found this, I mean, this would be 15 years ago on our journey. You'd have great guys that get to a certain point where, like Keller says, I need leaders of leaders. Tim Keller, that is in his classic paper on church size. Mm. You, you need leaders of leaders. You don't just need someone that's good at doing something. You need someone that can 
cope with the processes and the communication and the interdepartment relationships and all those dynamics as you get slightly bigger. Uh, I don't think that helps, Colin, but I'm bouncing off you there. So uh, that, that's, I think, what's going on, maybe. You know, it is definitely it's yeah. what's going on. And, uh, and holding the balance between those two, uh, yeah. for us, uh, which we, you know, we want the strength of what we've got and it's actually who yeah. we are, but actually the tension. And actually, yeah. I think there's a lot of churches, probably in the UK, that are maybe plant sites bigger than we do, but go through this, a similar sort of dynamic in terms yeah. of um, uh, the site leader and what their responsibility are and what you've given away yeah. and the need for the specialist across the board to get you to 500 people. If, yeah. Uh, so. I, I, I think it, it's massive. And uh, our, probably our weakness would be, uh, you know, you could have people attending Kings and their ownership is fairly low because it's kind of sort of driven from central where I suspect yours is higher, but then the, the very thing that has got you to where you are could become a cultural problem to getting you to the next stage. Right. And so yeah. therefore your ability to lead, retain the strength, but also start to make adjustments, particularly how you staff yeah. will how it would have always been there growing a church from two to 500, but is exacerbated through multi-site, uh, is my observation. Uh, yeah. It's so exacerbated, but also has some benefits because uh, people like Tom, who's chairing this, um, you can have people who, who can grow because they've got a bigger space because of the multi-site. Uh, totally, and we would have actually seen, helping yeah. people navigate that. It's, so actually, uh, change management yes. is the actual for me. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm becoming a specialist in change management. Yeah, which uh, is where I think you have to have. Uh, obviously, the teaching is important. It's yeah. really important. Obviously, we have Andrew Wilson, so that's a good start. Okay, but um, you have to have a leadership team that can handle the complexities of. Uh, a multi-site so I always say look know yourself before you do something and I think I know you Colin well you're 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 you're, you're brilliant in these things uh, emotional intelligence and all this kind of awareness of change and what's going on well you you definitely have to have that or someone on your team has to have that yeah as you go multi-site yeah great and I'm going to take us into um a slightly different area that's linked and that's eldership um Really common question uh, for multi-site churches, how does an elders team function uh, across sites? Do you have elders that are assigned to sites? Do you have one big eldership team? Um, lots of people navigate it different ways. Um, it'd be good to spend just a few minutes on it. Um, Steve, can you just, before we get too much into exactly kind of how it works on the ground, um, can you just start by sharing a little bit about uh, in your understanding, what the eldership role is, and then how you're thinking on that has changed uh, by going multi-site, has changed at all. So I've always taught that eldership really is, uh, could be summarised as four Ds. Firstly, it's display. So eldership 1, 2, 3 is about character. Um, and so therefore, your life is really important. So not to separate gift from character and life. So I'll say that. Hopefully that's obvious. I think secondly, eldership is about direction. Uh, you know, what is the vision? What is the direction of this church? Uh, 
Thirdly, it's about doctrine. This is a body of truth this local church, autonomous church, holds. And fourth, it's discipline. It's a boundary setting. It's like, and for me, eldership really is about fathers. When I was younger, I struggled with that. Now at my age, I think, no, I'm fathering this people. I'm dad. Uh, and uh, so I've always found that helpful, those four Ds. Uh, and then in my experience, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. The application of that is shaped by church size a lot. And my experience of this is very often that people overstate a value where really they haven't interpreted or contextualized the church size they're in. And most churches are small in the UK is the truth. And therefore, everyone knows the elder. They have a, a relationship with the elder. If you look at Acts 6, I think you get a, an interesting view into what really happens when there is churches of New Testament size. And to be honest, more globally, is you get in Acts 6 and the apostles, you know, get overrun caring for the widows. There's a pastoral and administrative challenge. And they actually go to the people to recommend uh, who's going to care for the widows because they don't know them. They wouldn't know how to select their leaders. And so I think a lot of the time for me, and I'm happy to be challenged on this, I think what happens is our interpretation of eldership is more come from as we're looking up from the church size we are rather than necessarily a biblical model. Uh, in other words, if you're in a church of 2000, you probably don't have a relationship with an elder anyway, unless you have 100 elders. Um, because you just, the relational, even if you're in a church with 1,000 people with three meetings, and one of the elders is, is in two of the meetings, but not in the third one, you're not going to know that elder. So uh, that's my own view. Uh, I don't know if that helps. I've answered the theological question and yeah. also just thrown in a bit of a curveball there about how you interpret those values of four Ds into different church sizes and therefore managing expectations on how close you are to elders in large churches uh, is at least a question I raise. Right. And then just before I get to Colin, just then to follow up into the practical side of it, um, can you just tell us how many elders you have at King's and which sites they are based at, if they're based at any particular site? And a little bit about what the eldership team does. So how often do you meet? What do you do in those meetings? Um, yeah. Just, uh, so I think at the moment we have five elders. Um, and we're just about to appoint two others. Uh, they meet monthly. Uh, to kind of chat about stuff and <laughs> that is the most non-agended meeting of kings i don't think it's even minuted okay it really is like sitting around the fire chatting okay and it's very very big picture so we would talk about in a year two subjects in fact at the moment we're in our second year talking about this very issue governance how do elders, trustees and senior leadership team in a, a large, relatively large church work together? Uh, our elders and trustees work very closely together. We, we own three properties. We have, you know, I don't want my elders making decisions which are unconnected to the financial realities of what we're carrying and things like that. So, um, but this is a live topic for us. And so I'm, it's really a snapshot moment. So I'm very happy to say the four Ds, I'll stand by that. So that's just way, a quick way of summarising what I see in the New Testament. 
but the practice is evolving and we're at the moment thinking of expanding our eldership team and we could see it getting a lot larger uh, but we would probably then have subgroups uh, Driscoll used to call it courts or, or something like that so you can have a massively eldership team that sounds great and everyone knows at least one elder that becomes non-functioning and actually dangerously empowers an individual which we would be nervous about especially when I'm the individual so <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke Colin by the way uh, and then um, uh, so yeah that's at the moment so it would, this would have always been the case. This is where our journey shapes us. So you, if, if I have one of my elders on the Catford site when we just had three meetings and about a 1,000 people, you know, they might, particularly their marketplace elder or a non-salaried elder, they would be in one of those meetings. And so they, people might not necessarily know that, might know their name, but might not know them well. So that, that's where we're at. But it is, I think, talking round, this is the area where there's less clarity and we all feel a little uncomfortable where we are and we're trying to find a model that fits our theology, to be honest. That's good. Um, Colin, uh, do you want to chip in on what you think about eldership, both kind of in principle and then how it's outworked at Christchurch as well? Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that uh, a lot of churches that have elders have just swapped a managing pastor to a managing eldership, which I always felt was kind of a halfway house, you know. So I always felt like a lot of elders are like a corporate pastor. <laughs> you know, so you get five like elders in a room and they meet every other week. And effectively, it's the management of the church. I've never felt that is the right view, even in a small church, to be yeah, fair. Good. And uh, I feel like... Um, it's the overview, it's vision, it's theology, it's exactly what Steve said. Um, and uh, actually the ministry is done by the body. So mm -hmm. the, I feel, I, I have a little snapshot to our people. I say the trustees keep us honest uh, to the charity commission, keep us legal, keep, mm -hmm. uh, you know, keep us safe in, in, uh, in that area. And the elders keep us secure, keep us theologically sound, keep our direction going. But both, in our world, meet three or four times a year. Um, and so our elders, we have a curry. There's, I think we have seven elders. We've got two more coming on board. Um, and again, very unagended, big picture. And it tends to be a philosophical, theological mm -hmm. talk. Um, and uh, yeah, again, it's we would only have one topic going on. We'd, we'd have catch up over the curry, but actually, we would just have one um, one conversation, and that would kind of come up again. Uh, probably don't take a year to do that, but actually, <laughs> in a sense, they come back. But it's if not dissimilar to what you've said, and we deliberately have it around the curry just because it kind of sets the tone. So a courier of prayer and one uh, subject. So, uh, but we actually do want a multiple of elders. So effectively, we are figuring out when we get ten, nine or ten elders, which we're just going to put, suddenly changes our curry table. <laughs> so so we, have, we are just literally thinking that's going to change. And then we actually have a, a leadership team that, does, that directs the management of the church. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so 
that tend, uh, has elders, but it doesn't have to have just elders. It's a different. It's uh, it, it's basically uh, uh, there's different teams. So we it, it, we figure out how the church functions. It's different uh, the the way eldership works, but so yeah. I don't know. So that's where we are. And I say our next. So and we do want people to have access to an elder. Actually, that's pr- that's pretty important for us, but we don't want to manage with old. I think I think Colin, I, I, I don't know if we've actually talked about this before, but it sounds like we're more or less on the same page. And we, I mean, I, my role as the kind of lead elder at Kings is I sit in three rooms: the eldership room, the trustees room, and the senior leadership team. And my my job is to keep those three rooms on the same page. Uh, and that there are my places of accountability for differing things. But, yeah, our senior leadership team manages and implements the vision of the elders. So uh, that's exactly where we are. And I think I found that one of the limiting factors in smaller churches sometimes is the elders won't let go of the management, and therefore, particularly if they're not full-time, the whole thing just clogs up. So... You just and as the church gets bigger now, I think as a multi-site gets bigger, the eldership has to become increasingly big picture and, and allow the staff to for the, the church to be staff-led and eldership protected is a phrase we use. Yeah. So um, just for people who are watching this live, um, we've got another twenty minutes or so. Uh, it'd be great to um, to ask your questions. Uh, we've already got questions coming in, and um, we'll put them to to Stephen Colin. Uh, in just a moment, I just want to on this eldership thing just ask you one more thing uh, before we move on to the the Q and A, uh, and that's how it relates to site leaders. Um, having chatted with a number of people who desired to be um, in leadership, uh, it seems like often in their heads, uh, leading a site and becoming elders uh, are both um, stations that they they want their train to be going to, um, and as though the two roles are synonymous um which certainly i know in manchester they're they're not always the same people there are elders who don't lead sites there are site leaders who are not elders um could you just talk about the interplay between those two roles and uh, are you looking for site leaders to be elders or on a journey there or uh, are you happy to see them as distinct and uh, and, and if so um how do they what, what is the relationship like between the site leader and the eldership team um Colin, given that I started with um, Manchester to frame that, do you want to talk a little bit about how we do it? And then, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. First of all, I, I I don't think a site leader needs to be an elder, um, and I think it's actually a great place for people to grow. So, to uh, so I, I I want personally to make the two different. The reality is that the way we do it, because they're smaller communities. A site leader, it's almost like they grow into an eldership role, even if they weren't on the eldership team. So that's just as it is because they become the pastor and they become an elder in the way most people perceive an elder is, um, which is a shepherd, someone who's looking after you. So I think uh, that's been a little bit how we navigated it. Um, and so for a lot of people in the, in the church, they would say, oh, the, the, the site leader is an elder, if you understand, because it's almost like how it works. Um, 
But I've tried always to keep the two separate because I think um, it gives us much more flexibility. And also, we, you don't want, you, you, as Steve's saying, you, you, we're trying to figure out how in a bigger church, in a multi-site, big multi-site church, how elders function without, you know, too many people in the room. <laughs> I mean, that, a discussion becomes one person led if you're not careful. So, yeah. Yeah. How about at King, Steve? How do you do it? Uh, I think this is an ongoing conversation that we've had for eight years, uh, and I still don't think we've fully worked it out, to be honest. But that's that's probably our story in Multisite all along. Uh, at the moment, our site leaders are not elders. Uh, I We have talked about differing models. Some go with a, I have a governing group of elders and a past and pastoral elders. I can see some strengths and weaknesses in that. We looked at that model. We, at the moment, don't feel that's the way for us to go. We're considering that we would want uh, possibly more elders so that people on our sites can connect relationally with an elder and say, this is my shepherd. Um, uh, but we probably, I agree with Colin, that doesn't necessarily mean every site leader is an elder or should become one because you want to make sure that they have um, biblical qualifications and capacity. and uh, So we don't want to get tied too tight to the model, particularly how I defined eldership earlier, which is very, very big picture. We also want to promote, support, release other ministries. I think we can, on occasion, put too much value in an elder, if I can put it that way, because we want to release ministry, both men and women, and you can have huge diaconate responsibilities uh, and care for thousands of people and not have the, what I call, have E on your pyjamas. You don't need it, you know. And so there's a lot of delegated authority in a large church and in a multi-site church. I understand in our network the value and the importance of eldership, and I can see why pastors aspire to that. And even using the word pastor, I know that I, for some theologians listening will say, well, you're kind of you're using the eldership word there anyways or oversight. So mm-hmm. I think it is a tension and I'm not sure we've fully worked it out is the honest answer. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to go to a, a question that someone was asking. Um, uh, they say, I don't know if you've come across this much, but sometimes uh, there can be a disconnect between uh, the vision that you kind of would officially have and the actual culture of the people especially when the senior leader isn't present, which uh, obviously in, in a multi-site church would be quite often. Uh, so given this multi-site context, uh, how do you try and reinforce the overall values and ensure buy-in from site leaders, particularly when you're not there? Um, Steve, do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the glue in the end is, is the site leader. If the site leader is not owning the vision, value and philosophy of, of, of the church that you're leading, in the end, that, will, that won't just create tension. <laughs> There'll be fallout over that in the end. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, if you were to sit down with someone on the fringe of one of our sites, they wouldn't be able to articulate a lot of what Kings represents, to be honest, uh, because there could well be an unbeliever in our context. So I think, once again, this is managing expectations 
and it really is circles within circles. So you want right at the heart of your eldership, your senior leadership team and your site leaders an agreement in heart and relationship and friendship and partnership in the gospel to your core values, vision and philosophy of ministry. If you have that, then it tends to go fine and it flows out from there. And then depending, I mean, you know, we did a church survey recently. And at that point, we were averaging around 1,500 people on the Sunday, and 900 of those had joined us in the last five years. Yeah? So that means everything I preached, which was just out of the park kind of preaching six years ago, they'd never heard about. So you just, you know, these are the realities of trying to, you know, so the larger the church, the values are held in a smaller group. So this is a strange thing. In fact, when it's the strengths of a larger church is that you won't get knocked off because you won't have a dominant family or a person that could come into a smaller site and dominate. It just, it, it, in fact, people come and they leave because they can't, they can't get their way through. So in a strange way, it protects the community. Uh, and it's one of the strengths of a larger. Uh, it's a weakness because people don't feel they have ownership or influence. which is not great because you want people to feel like they're really involved. So it works both ways. Uh, but that, that there's some, some of my perspectives on it. Thank you. Colin? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that in every site leader, you've got an aspiration, most site leaders, not every, an aspiration to be a senior leader. Yeah. So and they, and, and they, they, they've got some things that they want to experiment with. They, even if they, if they've uh, been a kind of son or daughter in the house, uh, they actually still have kind of aspirations. So, so I think sometimes you're managing that. Yeah, it's very good. And uh, I think you're actually, uh, and, and it's true, this is why the bandwidth gets less as you get bigger, because effectively, as I say, early on, uh, we had more differences in our sites than we do now, because effectively you you have to not you're not in the room, so you've you've actually you you work it out outside the room, effectively, which means that you are having to articulate more strongly your no-go areas and your areas that are negotiable, and so. Um, so I think everybody, it's almost the same everybody, I use two extreme words. A, a, a lot of elders, especially when they go multi-site, like the idea that it gives you multi-opportunities to reach different people and give people a chance to express themselves. Effectively, that's what I did when I first started 25 years ago. What you end up, the trajectory there is their own, you go into churches, effectively. You've actually got a, a trajectory to plant in churches. The multi-site is the start. Um, so I think um, part of it for me is actually having a, an honest conversation with people. Are you here for the medium hall? <laughs> I, I think long haul is too, you know, it's a funny word that for most people. Or are you here as a stepping stone to lead your own church? Actually, I'm very happy if people say it is a stepping stone. Because we could, that's fine. Because we, as long as it's real, then yeah, three years doing this, I realize you're going to be pushing a bit. <laughs> actually, this will give you experience and you'll actually help us. 
uh, I think the dip more difficult is when people feel like they're part of the medium term and actually want to try and create their own culture and stuff like that. And then, so it is the, it is the, the, the senior leader in particular and the site leader's relationship. Oh. It is the ability to navigate where, what bits of the culture actually work better because it's, you know, we're in some very poor areas, into student areas, into the city centre now. They're very different types of people. Oh. And also, you know, so there's a number of things that you've, that we do have to think, okay, it works differently there than it does here. And this is, tends to be hospitality, it tends to be evangelism, it tends to be mission. Worship a little bit, but not so much as people think. I think that would be the truth. Um, so there's a, there's a, I, what I've noticed is people bring in often, middle class people in particular, bring in what they think different sort of people want so there's you're navigating people philosophizing what they think is going to be good for a different area when actually uh, Nicky Gumble I always quote this when he was when I went to hear him years ago when he first was doing his thing on uh, Alpha he said better to do it my way <laughs> and then experiment learn how we've done it than try and experiment to start with, <laughs> because actually we have a way of doing stuff that actually has proved to work. And that's basically where I'm at. I don't know if that uh, helps. I've kind of got different angles there. but Yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, uh, uh, I think it's great for, for young men to aspire to be an elder. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. I think I understand that as someone who was once young and once wanted to make my life count. And so I think that's good. But you face that whether in multi-site or in, in any church. Uh, and I just think, once again, multi-site adds this component where, where you're asked questions, but I'm, I'm pastoring these people. Well, if you are leading a large, if you're overseeing groups at King's, before we were at multi-site, you were pastoring a lot of people more than, you know, so... But it's a good problem to have. And I do agree with Colin. I think what multi-site does provide, if you're a, a site pastor, site leader, uh, venue host, is a developmental step which will prepare you well for if and when you lead your own church. Very good. Um, let me just ask Kev on one more area before we wrap up. Um, we've talked about a lot of the different ways the leadership structure might relate. We've talked about elders, talked about the centre and, and the size, talked about specialists. Uh, just to hone in on the person at the top of the uh, of the structure, the senior leader, the senior pastor, whatever uh, term you use for that, um, both of you are, are in a situation where you're leading something that, that's complex, that has lots of different sites, that has lots of people involved. Uh, you can only do that by giving things away, by leading through other people. I'm curious to know what are the things that you won't give away. So what are the bits that you just want to hold on to uh, because you know to do your job, you need to hold those bits? Um, Steve, do you want to kick us off? Um, I don't give away the vision of the church. So every single time we talk about vision, I'm the person. I don't give away the responsibility to raise the money for the vision. Uh, I sign off on everything that we teach. So 
uh, Andrew Wilson would, we would brainstorm, what do you think we should be teaching? He would draw it all up, but in the end, I would still sign off on that. Uh, he's brilliant, by the way, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I always think by, you know, he has to, in the end, defer to me even on that one, but that's team, that's how it works. I'm close at Kings to the budget, so I sign off on the budget. Uh, I think ultimately you are the cultural setter. You set the temperature, you set the pace. Uh, I, I've always believed in the kind of Moses Jethro principle that you'll wear yourself out if you do everything, but still the difficult decisions come to you. So I still occasionally get called into like a, what is our, I might, a pastoral situation. I don't deal with many pastoral situations, to be honest, but we'll get drawn in for a, sometimes just a, a call. I think that, and my team are very good. They would probably go, um, that would be interesting what Steve's view on that would be. And then uh, a change of practice or philosophy would, would uh, uh, yeah, that wouldn't happen without me kind of grudgingly give it a go or no basically that's off the top of my head great thank you Colin well what about you vision mm -hmm. pace um, the absolutely top um, I think I I I have a, a, a the, the finance although I I, I I do less of it but I'm always on top of it in terms of uh, um, uh, I'm on top of how many people are attending on Sundays. We had that conversation this morning. <laughs> you know, I want to know just uh, where we're going. And uh, the culture, um, especially some of the, the top ones, we like, think the best. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm really keen that, that, that when I'm listening to, because we have different preachers, you know, so in a sense, we've devolved such a lot of things. I'm always listening out. Are they expressing grace in the way that I would express it? Oh, are they expressing faith in the way that I would express it? So, I, uh, so I have a. I think I have an ability to know a lot of things without doing a lot of things. I keep my ear to the ground, and. So, and I think people know, the leadership team know, a bit like Steve said about a passion, the sort of things that I would want to know. So that's, you know, you, you do that over years. You build in that trust. They know the sort of questions I would ask and they know occasionally what they need to defer, even on a pastoral or, or uh, a decision, exactly the same. Colin needs to know this. Um, or I need as advice on how we deal with it. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 144. See you next time.